All right, welcome to the Situation Update for Thursday, August 18th, 2022. I'm Mike Adams, and we have exclusive bombshell breaking news to share with you today. Whereas most days I'm talking about headlines and news from other sources, which is fine, but today this is exclusive news coming out of our laboratory analysis of these clots that appear to be killing people who take the jibby jabs. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to throw some jokes out here today, but there's going to be an overall more serious tone about this. I've published the results from the ICPMS analysis, as it's known. It's elemental analysis. We'll talk about that. I've already published the results on naturalnews.com. So if you want to bring up my feature article on that while I'm going through this with you, you can actually see the PDF report. You can see the numbers yourself. And let me see the title for that article on Natural News is Exclusive Natural News Releases Post-Vaccine Clot ICPMS Elemental Analysis Results Comparing Clots to Human Blood. Findings reveal these clots are not blood clots. And that's the big bombshell. These are not blood clots. So when we talk about blood clots for you know vaccinated people, folks, they're not blood clots. They're not made of blood, at least not the ones that I'm testing are not. Of course, I haven't been able to test everybody's clots. That would be a lot of dead people's clots shipped my way. But these clots are clearly not made of blood, and we can prove that now through good science. And if they're not blood clots, the question is, what are they? And here's what we know for sure. They are, number one, self-assembling structures. I call them biostructures. They are self-assembling. They get bigger. They seem to grow. Now, I'm not saying they're alive. I don't think they're alive, but they grow. Lots of things that aren't alive get bigger and grow over time. For example, prion masses in the brain. You know, it spreads. Or you could even say viruses are not alive, and yet they replicate and grow uh, in terms of their total population. In the human body, you have you have nails and you have hair. Both of those things grow, you know, in quotes, you say they grow, they're produced by the body, they get bigger or longer in the case of nails and hair, but they're not alive either. So it's not unusual to have things that grow and get bigger over time, even though they're not alive. This appears to be happening inside people's blood vessels and arteries in some cases. That's what's freaky. Now, if you take normal living human blood and you analyze it, you're going to see some markers that are consistent with what you might expect to find in blood. For example, iron. If you analyze blood in the lab via ICPMS, you're going to get roughly what we got about 462 parts per million iron. 462. Whereas the iron in this clot was only a tiny fraction of that, just 20.6. So like less than 120th of the amount of iron. I think it comes out to 4.4%. So let's see. Potassium in human blood is 1,893 parts per million, at least it was in this sample. But in the clot, it's only 12.5 parts per million. So that's like something like 0.6% or something. In other words, this clot is not made of blood. Uh, magnesium in normal human blood is 35 parts per million, but in this clot, it was only 1.7 parts per million. Uh, chlorine was also significantly lower in the clot 
compared to blood, but phosphorus was higher in the clot. That's interesting. So we already know this clot is not made of blood. If it were made of blood, it would have much higher levels of iron and magnesium and these things that we mentioned, and the ratios would be more consistent with blood. So we know it's not blood. But as we were doing these tests, we noticed something really strange, kind of alarming, and it's going to lead us down a deep, dark Alice in Wonderland rabbit hole. And we noticed that some elements were higher in the clot than what they are in human blood. And three of those elements that are higher are sodium, tin, and aluminum. These three elements are all very good conductors of electricity. Very good conductors. So aluminum, as you know, is a replacement for copper wiring. And they'll use aluminum wiring now in residential electrical infrastructure and commercial infrastructure and power grid and so on. So aluminum is great for conducting electricity. Sodium, a lot of people don't, don't know this, but sodium is an alkali metal, and it's also highly, highly conductive. And if you don't believe me, just stick a couple of electrodes into some seawater and find out what happens. Uh, uh, you know, like a car battery. I mean, don't do that. I'm joking because you, you don't want to shock yourself. But uh, seawater conducts electricity, obviously. Uh, tin is also used as an alloy that's in solder, which is used to manufacture or to repair uh, circuit boards and circuitry systems. So tin is highly conductive as well. So these three elements caught my attention. Again, sodium, tin, and aluminum, all three are very conductive, and all three were found at much higher levels in the clot compared to human blood. In fact, one of them, tin, was found at 588% higher uh, concentrations in the clot, whereas iron in the clot is, you know, one-twentieth or less of what's in human blood. So what we can conclude from this is, again, number one, the clot is not made of blood. But secondly, here's what's shocking. The clot is harvesting certain electrically conductive elements out of the blood and using those elements in its machinery, what, however you want to describe it, mechanism, to assemble itself, to grow its own size and mass while concentrating electrically conductive elements into some form that we don't yet fully understand. So the, the shocking takeaway from this is that the clot is very, very low in elements that are associated with human life, but the clot is much higher in elements that would be associated with artificial life built by machines. Make sense? And this is all irrefutable, by the way. I invite other labs to test the clots themselves. This is easily replicated in any competent laboratory. And remember that our lab is ISO accredited, 17025 accreditation. And, you know, we're audited, inspected. We pass tests uh, every year. You know, we have to pass tests for accuracy. And our results are very, very accurate. We have all the logs of all the tests that we've ever taken over the years and so on. We're very, very accurate. So these numbers are not in question. The only question is, how is this happening? Like, by what mechanism are these clots assembling themselves? Like, what kind of machinery is this?
And by machinery, I mean, you know, biocompatible machinery or biostructure machines. What is this? That's what we don't know the answer to. You might have some guesses. A lot of people have some guesses about that. Uh, Dr. Charles Lieber, of course, uh, who was convicted, he was uh, prosecuted by the DOJ and he was convicted not long ago, a few months back, of sharing secrets with the communist Chinese about biocircuitry, nanocircuits, uh, cellular scale interface systems using nanocircuit, um, like self-assembling circuitry. You can just look at his patents. If you just go on to like DuckDuckGo or a search engine and search for Dr. Charles Lieber, L-I-E-B-E-R, patents, you're going to get a whole list of his patents. And they're all about a nanocircuitry that is interfacing with biological systems and, and self-assembling inside the body and interfacing with cells and even inside the cell membranes for monitoring and control systems. That's what Charles Lieber was known for. And as anybody who understands physics also knows, this is the other major takeaway from this. If you have, well, let me back up so that this doesn't sound as crazy as it is. Okay, you you know that there are RFID chips, right? RFID. And RFID chips, they don't have a power source. Did you know that? So RFID chips, I think it stands for radio frequency identification. I think that's what it means. But RFID chips or circuits are just uh, physical uh, conductive material that's laid out in a certain structure in something the size of like a little label or a little sticker. And RFID tags can be placed on things like, you know, inventory control, put them on boxes or, you know, put them on uh, clothing for anti-shoplifting, you know, anti-theft devices. That's how those devices work, by the way. It's all RFID chips. And, you know, you can put them in other things. Some people believe that they're put into credit cards and money, like dollar bills and so on, so that the government can track who's carrying how much cash through the airports or what have you. Okay, so RFID technology, let's let's be clear, is not a conspiracy theory. It's physics and it exists all over the world. It's used everywhere. You can buy RFID scanners. You can buy RFID tags and they're just circuitry laid out in a pattern and when you when you put a pulse of electromagnetic energy towards that RFID circuit that circuit will generate a response it will elicit a response that is kind of like a an organized reflection of the electromagnetic energy so the circuits that you have laid out in a certain pattern they will then sort of reflect or broadcast a, uh, a certain type of signal based on the structure of the circuits. And, and that's how RFID tags work, and that's why they don't need power sources themselves. So they're taking external power and reflecting it back out in kind of a spontaneous – well, reflection is actually the best term for that. They're broadcasting a reflection of electromagnetic energy. And again, not a conspiracy theory. That's common knowledge, common technology. It's used by Walmart, right? You know, for inventory control. And don't confuse this with UPC codes and quick scan codes or QR codes. That's optical technology. I'm talking about electromagnetic, which is RFID. Two totally separate things, just to be clear. So when you're scanning, 
When you buy groceries and the cashier is scanning your grocery barcodes, that's optical barcode scanning. But if you steal a party dress from a clothing store and as you're walking out, it goes beep, 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 because, you know, you're shoplifting, that's RFID. Those are the security tags. So what we know from RFID is that if you have a pattern of circuitry, it can respond to external electromagnetic impulses or radiation. In addition, we know from studying EMP weapons and solar flares and so on, that circuits can be made very, very hot when there's enough external energy directed at them. In other words, the circuits kind of funnel the energy of the electromagnetic broadcast, and it can create a lot of heat. And this is what fries the microcircuitry in devices during an EMP attack. There's too much voltage that is, um, well, inductive current that, that goes through the circuits. They get too hot, and then they melt. And when they melt, your iPhone no longer works, or your mobile device, or your, you know, whatever, your your car, all the little circuit boards everywhere, they the circuits melt, and they stop functioning. So it, it brings up the question, what if people who have taken these vaccines, what if they have these, these clots in their bodies, which we know is true, and these clots have these uh, nano circuits of some kind or, or some kind of organized structure of electrically conductive elements? What would happen if there is a solar flare or an EMP weapon or a specific kind of local broadcast of energy at frequencies that would resonate with those biostructures, what would actually be the result in, in the realm of physics? Well, in the realm of physics, the result would be heat. They would get hot. They would start to heat up. It's kind of the way that inductive cookware works on an electric range. You know, if you're, if you're cooking on your stove and it's electric stove and you have pots and pans that you sit on there, and the ones that are that use induction for cooking, the energy is being transmitted to your pots and pans, and then they get hot, and then that's what cooks your food. Well, the same thing can happen in any kind of nanocircuitry that might be present in a clot inside a person's body. And since we know that electromagnetic waves penetrate the body, they go right through the body. I mean, different wavelengths have different depths of penetration and so on. But the the really longer wavelengths, the, the larger waves, that is the lower frequency waves, they penetrate all the way through the body very, very easily. Yet if the intensity of those waves is high enough, it's going to generate heat, heat in the clots. Now, where are the clots located? They're located inside the blood vessels. As these clots are growing, they're taking up a larger and larger cross-section of the diameter of the blood vessel. Now, even if they take up 80 or 90% of the blood vessel, the person is still not dead because the blood is flowing around the clot. This is why a lot of people who have clots seem to be doing fine until that one day they're out jogging and that clot just hits 100% blockage. Like when it was 95%, they were still okay. Then it hits 100%, boom, no more blood flow. Well, what happens if those clots are heated by some external electromagnetic event? which again, could be a solar flare, could be EMP weapon, could be a broadcast, 
you know, you start to ask questions. Are 5G towers capable of this? What kind of broadcast systems could induce current and heat inside the clots? Well, at a certain point, a certain temperature in that clot, it's going to cook the blood vessel in which it resides. It's going to cook the vessel and it's going to cook the blood that is near it, above it or below it or around it. It's going to cook it. And you've probably seen this in Hollywood movies like Rambo, you know, a Rambo type character. He gets, uh, he gets shot in the shoulder, right? Cause the good guys always get shot in the shoulder. And then he's got to, he's got to cauterize the wound, right? So what does he do? Oh, he takes, and like he takes his knife and he, he makes it red hot over a fire. And then he, he jams the knife tip in there, you know, to, to cook the blood. And what does that do? It stops the blood from flowing. That's called cauterizing the wound, right? And that's, you know, it's depicted in movies, but it's a real thing too. If you cauterize an area of tissue, uh, it will form instant scar tissue and it will no longer bleed. So what happens if you cauterize a blood vessel from inside the blood vessel? What happens if you cook it from the inside? Instantly, the blood flow stops everywhere that this cooking is taking place. Makes sense so far? And then what would happen? Oh, well, pretty much everybody who has that would just lose consciousness and die within a matter of seconds or a couple of minutes at most. I mean, no blood flow to the brain is death. You know, eventually, within a couple of minutes. So now this is starting to look like a, a science fiction scenario where the people have been injected with something that essentially embeds their circulatory system with uh, energy receiving devices that can heat up. And then there must be some kind of broadcast technology that can simultaneously affect everybody who has these structures in their bodies and heat them up and cause the internal cauterization of the blood vessels and basically block off all blood flow and cause all these people to keel over dead all at once. That's a plausible scenario. Do I have evidence that that's exactly the plan? No, of course not. We're talking about what is the motivation behind these clots and, and the assembly of these clots or the instructions to tell the body to build these clots. And why do these clots have electrically conductive elements that are at much higher concentrations than what's found in the blood, which indicates that these clots are harvesting these elements from the blood, which means somehow through some mechanism we don't yet understand, they are organizing these elements in some way inside their own self-assembling clot structure. And just like with RFID, whatever structures these are, there's probably a resonant frequency and intensity of an electromagnetic broadcast that can heat these things up. Now, in addition to 5G towers, there are also, of course, energy weapons that are used for crowd control. These are known as microwave weapons used by the United States military, or at least possessed by the U.S. military, and also possessed by police and military operations in other countries. There was a video came out a while ago, and to this day, I don't know if that video was a hoax or something real, but it appeared to depict someone in Brazil who reportedly was vaccinated and was hit with one of these weapons and 
smoke, at least in this video, which may have been fake. We don't know if this is real. But in the video, smoke began to pour out of his eyeballs and his brain cooked from the inside. Now, I don't have that video. It appears to have been completely scrubbed off the Internet, but I did see it. It's probably searchable on some of the alternative video platforms. Again, don't know if that's real, but it's depicting something that is plausible in terms of the laws of physics. Now, think about all the people who are dying after taking these vaccines and how many of them are described as, quote, died suddenly. Think about healthy airline pilots. So pilots have to pass rigorous physicals. Pilots tend to be very healthy individuals. A lot of them, they go jogging and they work out and so on. That's be that's good fitness because yeah, actually flying is, uh, it takes more endurance than you might expect. A lot of changes in, you know, atmospheric pressure and, of course, a lot of seated hours as well. But what if their clots are being activated by some of the electronics that are uh, all the broadcast frequencies and things that are happening on airplanes, the transponders and communication systems and all kinds of circuits, you know, the cockpit of a commercial jet is very dense with electromagnetic uh, frequencies and broadcasts and so on. Could this be part of the explanation of why pilots are dying? I don't know for sure. It's not conclusive, but it's just a data point to consider as we're trying to understand what's going on. But think about who else is dying. People are dying while driving cars. Bus drivers are dying suddenly. We're seeing a lot of doctors having spontaneous deaths. And also, of course, athletes are dying as they're, you know, exercising or practicing. They're on the field. Now, what's happening with those athletes? Well, their hearts are beating faster as they're exercising. Their blood pressure is a little bit higher. You know, the blood volume flow is higher. And some of these clots, wherever they are currently lodged in the vascular system, when the blood flow is higher or the pressure is higher, these clots can be displaced and pushed either up or down the vessel to a branch where they can block suddenly a large section of the blood vessel. So we don't yet know how these clots latch on to the sides of the vessels. Like, do they have little tentacle-like appendages or something? How do they stay where they are? We don't know the answer yet. The embalmers know that, that a lot of dead people are filled with these clots because the embalmers are trying to push embalming fluid into the major arteries and blood vessels, and they can't push the fluid through in many cases because these clots are lodged, embedded in the circulatory system. And so what these embalmers have to do, and I've spoken with Richard Hirschman about this, they have to then make an opening at some other you know, exit point of a large artery, and then they, they have to push hard and shove embalming fluid into someone's artery, and then it, it will often thrust out these clots that just come out the exit hole. It's like, kathum, 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 here's all these clots. So they're not securely attached to the inner vessel lining, the you know, the arterial walls. They are somehow... Uh, fixed in there, but not securely. So they can be pushed out with some force. And my theory is that that force can also be present when people are jogging or exercising or playing football or soccer. 
suddenly there's a lot of blood flowing through the body, that can produce that same force and it can push a large clot to some section where it just completely blocks off, you know, either the blood return or the blood delivery, and then boom, that person falls over and can die from that. So we have many different contexts in which people are dying. Some people are sitting in cockpits of aircraft. Some people are driving buses or operating vehicles. Some people are on a sports field and they're exercising and pumping a lot of blood. Other people just dying in their sleep. But what they all seem to have in common is these clots causing sudden death, even in otherwise very, very healthy people, people who would not normally die. And then, of course, the medical professionals and the media, they give all kinds of different explanations, different labels for this. Oh, he had a heart attack and died. Yeah, it's because a clot got lodged near the heart or in the heart. That, of course, that caused a heart attack. Oh, he died from a stroke. Well, it's because a clot jammed up in the brain, a stroke. Oh, died from uh, pulmonary thrombosis. Well, it's a clot that got jammed in the lungs. Oh, he died from this or that. It's, it's almost all clots, it seems. Well, this person lost circulation in their foot, had to be amputated. Uh, clots. This person lost sensation in their fingers. The fingers turned black. Numbness and tingling and then amputation. Uh, more clots. The uh, musicians that had tingling in their hands. Clots. Lost the use of their hands for some period of time. I remember Eric Clapton, he wrote a song about that. He thought he was never going to be able to play the guitar again. It's, it's blood clots. Now, for whatever reason, his clots were able to be cleared. And I think a lot of smart people are on to this, and they're figuring out that the quality of their blood is a big part of this puzzle, that you got to have healthy blood if you want to survive this if you've taken one of these vaccine jabs. And how do you have healthy blood? Well, of course, it all comes down to what you eat. Avoid the pro-inflammatory seed oils, the cheap, crappy rapeseed oil, which is canola oil. Corn oil, soy oil, cottonseed oil, all that garbage. Instead, you know, have flaxseed oil or olive oil. Make sure it's real olive oil, things like that. Even coconut oil is probably better than those garbage seed oils. You've got to stay off fried foods and stay off of inflammatory junk food products and processed sugars, refined carbohydrates, soda, and, you know, all, all the stuff that's inflammatory. If you combine clots with inflammation of the vascular system, you get, quote, died suddenly. That's what we're seeing, and that's why we're having all of these excess deaths, it seems. 40% higher deaths in certain age groups reported by the insurance industry. This is why Steve Kirsch is saying that right now we're seeing about 10,000 deaths a day around the world stemming from these vaccines. 10,000 people dead a day. And as I mentioned yesterday, that's only the tip of the iceberg because that's 10,000 people who have died, you know, today. But there are a whole lot more people who are growing clots that just haven't yet reached that maximum blockage. And those clots are building and they're collecting, they're collecting, you know, conductive materials from the blood. They're harvesting, they're constructing themselves. These are kind of biocompatible machines that are growing inside people's bodies right now that are going to block their vessels one day coming. They're like walking, ticking time bombs of instant biological death because, of course, if you block blood supply to the brain, that's death. 
But my point is that what if there has always been a plan this entire time to grow these structures in people's bodies and then activate them with radio frequency induction? Heat, cauterization, blockage, cooking the blood vessels from the inside. And this could also be done selectively, like what happens when all the vaccinated parents realize that their children were murdered by Big Pharma and they get angry and they rise up and they collect by the millions and they protest in front of the CDC, let's say. It's like, Dr. Walensky needs to go to jail or whatever their protests are. Then the military rolls out microwave directed energy weapon systems, DEWs, and just points them at all the protesters and just, and then everybody suddenly, boom, they just start dropping dead, at least the ones who took the vaccine. But that's who's protesting. And then, you know, the army's like, we didn't do that. These are non-lethal weapon systems. We don't know why they all dropped dead. They dropped dead because you cauterize all their blood vessels from the inside. I mean, at least in this theory that we're talking about. This is Obviously, this is a thought experiment. But it's plausible. This is entirely consistent with the laws of physics. Just for the record, I can't prove that this is exactly what's going on, but this is a possibility that we've got to consider. One more reason not to take these vaccines. Do you want some kind of conductive, organized, self-replicating, uh, self-assembling machinery inside your blood vessels? <laughs> do, you, do you want that? Does that sound like an awesome idea? Heck No. One more reason not to take the vaccine. Now, I know there's been conjecture from many corners of the Internet, and um, some people have suggested that there's kind of a remote control type of mechanism perhaps being set up where people's emotions could be controlled. And, you know, you look at Dr. Charles Lieber's patents and so on and some of the research on mice and there was actually behavior modification through external electromagnetic fields, but it was more like kind of crude uh, emotions, like just instilling fear or anger or aggression in mice, which, of course, that could be useful to the globalists as well. But I have not seen any evidence that that people could be you know, precisely remote controlled through something like this. I, I, that would require... More like a Neuralink type of interface, you know, a brain interface. And even then, I think that technology is not advanced enough to really, you know, to turn human beings into uh, precisely controlled biological puppets. I don't, I don't think that that's what's happening. If there's any kind of influence, it's going to be more crude, more kind of blunt, uh, more rough around the edges. But the technology absolutely does exist to cook people from the inside. So, you know how they say, uh, if you took the vaccines, you're toast? Well, little did they know that might be actually a good description of what's coming. And then adding to this mystery are the very credible reports from many corners of doctors and physicians and researchers who have been able to document that when people are injected with these vaccines, their their bodies begin to uh, broadcast what appear to be Bluetooth uh, identification uh, sequences. 
and that's freaky. I, I can't explain how that's happening, but this has been confirmed even by those who were originally very, very skeptical of it. It's like, no way. There's no way that's happening. And then they try it and they go, they find out, oh my gosh, this is actually true. Now, I haven't tried that myself because I don't know a hundred vaccinated people to even test that on. <laughs> that's not my social circle. But other people have tested this and, and they say that that's real. So that would imply some kind of biocircuitry that is responding to external electromagnetic fields, responding with a, a reflected kind of like an RFID type of response, like, boom, here's my address. Now, do you, do you believe that that's happening? I mean, sounds like science fiction. Even in my own mind, I'm a little bit skeptical that how, how could that be? But it's being confirmed over and over again. It's one of those weird, freaky, like alien tech kind of uh, uh phenomena that's happening in relation to these vaccines, but I don't know how that works or if it's happening to everybody or what. I don't know. What I do know is what I saw in my own lab with my own instruments. I do know 100% certain that these clot structures are accumulating conductive elements. That much I know. The rest of this is kind of a what if, like what's the motivation? What's the purpose? What's the application? Where is this going? And we know the globalists are trying to exterminate humankind. We know they tricked people into getting these injections. We know they want to kill people. We know depopulation is the number one agenda. So we have to think along those lines. Could this be a very clever way for them to kill off a bunch of people? Billions? Of course it could. It almost certainly is. We just have to understand the mechanisms of how those goals are going to be achieved.